Every Day is Earth Day is supported by Minnesota Valley Federal Credit Union with two locations in Mankato since 1934. It pays to bank where your part owner member NCUA more at mnvalleyfcu.coop. And Every Day is Earth Day is also supported by members of the Executive Board of the South Central Minnesota Clean Energy Council. Find out more at smcleanenergy.org. Good morning. Joining me now for Every Day is Earth Day is Josh Quinnell. He is with the Center for Energy and Environment. He is a research engineer, a senior research engineer there, and he works on grid modernization efforts, including strategic electrification, solar energy deployment optimization, and using efficiency and other DERs to manage distribution system capacity. Now, what did I just say there? That's a lot of words that I don't necessarily understand all of them. That is a lot of words. Um, Basically, I I work here at CEE to find new ways to save us money while we can also consider the environment in in respect to how we use energy and uh, participate in the economy. And the Center for Energy and Environment is a nonprofit. Yeah, we're a nonprofit uh, located here in Minneapolis, generally in service of energy efficiency, renewable energy, essentially while considering, again, like I said, the economy. So who are your customers or your clients then? Well, we generally work on behalf of everybody in Minnesota um, and lately have been sort of expanding into the upper Midwest. But we work specifically with uh, local communities, helping them develop energy plans and reach their local, uh, develop local energy goals. Um, We work at a state level to advance clean energy and energy efficiency policy. Um, We work with commercial enterprises to try to improve their buildings and save them money on their energy operations. We also run programs on behalf of utilities who are trying to save energy for their customers. And on Friday, June 10th at 9 o'clock, and you're doing a Zoom presentation as a part of the South Central Minnesota's Clean Energy Council, and they offer these educational programs. And the name of this program that you're doing is called What Are Heat Pumps and How They Save Money for Home and Building, Heating, and Cooling. Now, are we talking residential folks or are we talking commercial folks? We are uh, coming down to, well, yeah, like you said, we're on the Zoom. We'll be on a Zoom call, but we'll be talking to the South Central Clean Energy Council, mainly to talk about how households or residences can participate in electrification. Uh, and the biggest part of that uh, right now is the adoption of air source heat pump space heating technology. All right. All that is new to me. So let's talk about what is that? What does that mean for us? Sure. Um, so I guess starting at the very beginning, what is electrification? Electrification really is just a clever name for what we've been working toward in the renewable energy and energy efficiency industries for decades. In a sense, electrification has been the end end game, the linchpin of climate change mitigation. How do we stop putting carbon dioxide in the atmosphere? It's pretty simple, actually. We basically generate clean electricity and then do all the things with clean electricity. (laughs) It isn't really that simple in practice. It is a major effort to sort of change whole industries and how we do things. Um, And we do have to do both steps at the same time. But really, there's this tremendous excitement lately as sort of more and more people are realizing that this can work. In fact, it will work. And it's better than what we're doing now, uh, including being less expensive. So one of the words that I see here is heat pumps. And I don't know what exactly that means for me or for others listening. Sure, sure. So there's a technology that's getting a lot more attention recently called the air source heat pump. These machines can heat and cool a house just like a a furnace and air conditioner combination. In fact, they're really just air conditioners that can also run in reverse. So instead of cooling, they heat. It's really that simple. And I guess the promise that they have is that 
they can heat at double to triple the efficiency of our existing heating systems. So they can drastically reduce the amount of energy a household needs to meet its space heating needs. How is that possible? What are we? What kind of resource are we talking that we're using for this? Well, ideally, it'll be clean electricity. Um, so most homes in Minnesota uh, use furnaces uh, to, uh, or boilers to a lesser extent that are powered by natural gas, uh, mm-hmm. some by propane. Uh, and the heat pump runs off electricity. Uh, the neat thing about electricity is that it's getting greener every day. Our Minnesota electrical grid has come a really long way in the past 15 years. If we look in the near future, all our dirtiest plants are going to be retired and all of our largest community uh, utilities are committed to renewable generation. With electricity, a lot of times electricity is pretty expensive, though. I know when if you just run our electric heaters in our homes, that's very expensive. Or electric dryers. We found that our gas dryer is cheaper. So how do you say that it's going to save money? Right, absolutely. So the, the promise in saving money is that they're significantly more efficient than their uh-huh. gas appliance counterparts. Okay. So the, the key technology there is the heat pump. On the, on the space heating side, it's the air source heat pump. Uh, and this is about 200 to 300% as efficient as your standard electrical space heater that plugs into an outlet. And are these in existence? I guess I'm not, I, it's not something I've heard a lot about. Are people saying, I'm going to put in my air source heat pump, for example? They are uh, in existence. There are many different brands and models to uh, choose from. The market is currently in a state of explosion. They're much more common in southern climates because heat pumps work really well in mild weather. Um, they, they've been slower to be uh, developed for colder climates because they don't work quite as well at the coldest temperatures. And so we're seeing this market develop as the technology develops. So uh, will we be seeing more in our northern climates? Because obviously the big thing for us here, I know air conditioning's important, but heat in the winter, of course, is more important. Absolutely. Uh, Yeah, the market is growing very fast in northern climates, including Minnesota. Um, One of the most promising applications that we're um, studying right now is simply just replacing air conditioners with heat pumps. That way you have a furnace. You can operate your furnace if you choose. You can operate your air source heat pump if you choose for some savings. And you can replace your air conditioner with your heat pump, which generally is more efficient than a traditional air conditioning device. So you get some savings on the cooling side, too. And it gives us a package so, for example, we've got a, a lake house that has an old oil burner, whatever you call it, and it's not very efficient, it's very old, and want to replace it. So we were thinking about replacing it with gas. So what would you recommend instead? Well, if you've got uh, either propane or fuel oil, uh, air source heat pumps will save you money compared to those technologies. So you can, in effect, get a complete electric heating system at lower operating costs than what you've got now. And so what do you get? I mean, do you say I'm on a furnace or, or where do you get these? Because I'm, like I said, it's new to me. Yeah, so that is one of the barriers. They are still relatively new technology. We're still working to broadly inform contractors in the state that this technology is available and does work. In fact, my colleague, uh, Robbie Vandergon, is manager of an organization uh, we run called the Minnesota Air Source Heat Pump Collaborative, mm-hmm. which is a group, a group predominantly of electric utility members in Minnesota that are all kind of collectively working to sort out some of these new challenges in adopting technology, including training resources for contractors looking to learn about the technology and install them. So it's rapidly evolving this industry, um, but there are more and more contractors that you can call to get bids for this equipment and compare those bids to conventional alternatives. In fact, the Air Source Heat Pump Collaborative um, maintains a, a growing preferred contractor list for folks who are looking to explore this technology in their own applications. 
How much is it used in Minnesota now? You mentioned it's relatively new, so I assume it's not widespread. Oh, yeah, it's definitely not widespread. We probably uh, have a market share of 1% or less. Okay. Um, but it's growing exponentially, and um, there's no reason to doubt that it will continue to grow uh, just due to the promise that it holds. Usually anything that's new, though, usually has a higher cost because it's new and they're still developing it. So is this going to be a, a cost prohibitive in some ways in terms of if you're going to do it now versus wait till it, like a lot of things get cheaper down the line? Sure, that's a great point. Uh, it is definitely uh, comes at a cost premium right now because it's newer. That said, air source heat pump technology is generally not new. It's just new to us here in oh. Minnesota. It's, it's very common in milder cl- climates. So air source heat pumps have been around in milder climates for decades because they work really well heating at temperatures of around 30 or 40 degrees or warmer. Um, again, it's sort of the newer technologies that work very well for um, our cold climate that still command a pretty big cost premium. But one of the opportunities we have now is, you know, if, we, if we're willing to keep our conventional heating equipment, like a gas furnace, for example, we can still pair that with an air source heat pump, which will cool our house it can also heat our house when it's 30 or 40 degrees out, and then we can switch over to a gas furnace when it's very cold. This is kind of the best of all worlds. You can get a more cost-effective heat pump. You still have your gas, your gas system for when it gets really cold, and you can sort of find sort of an economic optimum, so to speak, to implement air source heat pump technology uh, immediately. So you might advise people then to keep what they've got and then just to supplement, and you'd still probably save money in the end? Yep. This is, this is going to be one of the biggest near-term strategies for accelerating this technology in our marketplace. So how does it work then? I mean, you mentioned that they're hoping it uses more renewable energy, but at this point it doesn't? Or how are we benefiting the climate? Oh, well, sure. For right now, uh, for most folks in Minnesota, when they operate an air source heat pump, it does benefit the climate. Our grid is clean enough that compared to natural gas or propane or fuel oil or electric resistance, an air source heat pump will essentially emit fewer emissions. And the, the neat thing about it is our grid is only getting cleaner. So every year, every next year, your heat pump will save even more and more emissions. It's only going to get better from here. So that's the really exciting part. All right, let's get to the, the bottom line. How much does something cost in terms of an outlay versus, let's say I was going to put in a traditional heating system, whether it's natural gas or whatever, how much would I expect to, to put out for this? Sure. Uh, well, it really depends on how fancy you want to be. So if you want to get something that is the most comparable to the conventional furnace and air conditioner system that you are considering, uh, the incremental costs, so the additional costs on top of that can be as low as 1000 or $2,000, sometimes even lower. Um, at the very high end, this equipment can be very fancy. So you could be looking at several thousand dollars of incremental costs. And that's really just kind of up to each individual decision maker and you know what they value um, in their decision making process. So $1,000 doesn't sound like very much to add heat and air conditioning to my house. Am, am I reading you right? That's all the outlay would be? Well, that's the incremental cost compared to a standard furnace and AC, for example. So you might pay, let's say, $6,000 for a furnace and AC. The air source heat pump instead of the AC might cost you $7,000. Okay. All right. So that's that- I understand. I didn't get that right away. So that's something we'll be getting, like you said, more of as soon as people learn more about it and contractors learn more about it. Another point that I think that you were going to talk about is replacing your old water heater with an air source heat pump water heater. So that's another what you call the air force source heat pump again, but this is for your water heater. So this is a different system, correct? Yep, this is a different system, but it shares 
sort of the same philosophy as the air source heat pump for space heating. In fact, it's kind of like a conventional water heater, but with an air conditioner strapped to the top. And this the system takes heat from its environment, or in some cases, it's ducted in from the outside, and it puts it in your water tank. So the key with the heat pump technology is that it's using electricity to move energy rather than burning fuel to make energy. That's what lets it be a lot more efficient. So we see the same kind of efficiency benefits in the water heater. A conventional water heater, electric water heater is about 100% efficient, but a heat pump water heater can be 150% to 300% efficient. Why do you need a heat pump water heater to give off air conditioning? <laughs> That's probably a dumb question, but I guess I'm not sure I understand that either. Sure. It's, it's, uh, you don't need it. It's just an intrinsic property of the equipment. Ah. So it moves energy from the surrounding air, increases its temperature, and puts that energy in the tank. Okay. So one consequence is that it does provide a little bit of air conditioning oh. um, for the location that it's installed. So that can be a good thing in the summertime. It's a little bit of a penalty in the wintertime, but overall it's a, a, a very big net efficiency, net efficiency benefit. Now you mentioned these, these heaters for the houses are two to 300% more efficient. How much more efficient are these water heater? Heap up water heaters run about 150% to 300% efficiency. Okay. They are about one and a half to three times as efficient as a conventional electric water heater. And they're three to six times as efficient as a gas water heater. Most gas water heaters are really inefficient. Are they out there now? I mean, is this something that's brand new invention or we just haven't heard about it yet? Yeah, we generally just haven't heard about them. Heat pump water heaters have been on the market now for about 10 years. Um, I think you can find them at some big box stores even. So Mm. Home Depot, Menards, uh, they have been known to stock them on the floor from time to time. So they're out there. Are they, do they take up a lot of space? How are they comparable in terms of what you maybe have already in your home? Sure, they're about the same size as a conventional water heater, um, but they're about 12 or 18 inches higher for the heat pump, which sits on top. So that can be a constraint in older houses that have really low basement ceilings, for example, but it usually isn't, they usually fit. And cost-wise, where are they at now since they're maybe more of a new technology? They, are, they have a cost premium as well. A new heat pump water heater, I think, probably costs somewhere around 1200 to $2,000. How long do you and think? And then more money for, to install it. How obviously. long would you say before you can recoup your cost, or can you? That's actually a very challenging question to answer. Um, <laughs> for the water heat, well, for both space heaters and water heaters, it depends on a lot of variables, and this is one of our active areas of research right now is trying to identify the situations where these systems do pay off and pay off really fast and sort of trying to prioritize those installs because we recognize they don't just universally pay off, but it has to do with how they're used, who's using them, their their behaviors and stuff. And this is, this is really the challenge of these technologies. They have a lot of promise, but they're also a lot more complex than the technologies they're replacing. And so we have essentially a lot of work to do to answer those questions. So if you're an early adopter, you might be paying more up front for some of the lack of knowledge, maybe for installing them, et cetera. Absolutely. And that's kind of why we're focusing on some of the applications we know are home runs. So if you already have an electric water heater, a heat pump water heater will save you money and pay itself off. That's, that's an easy solution. It gets a little bit more complex if we're comparing it to natural gas, which is most water heaters, but there's still hundreds of thousands of electric water heaters in the state that you know, at the time of a replacement, it would be a great opportunity to move, to move into a heat pump water heater um, and realize those savings. Josh, do you know how that compares with a, a tankless water heater system? Because I've heard of those, and I'm wondering if those are more efficient or not necessarily. 
tankless water heaters are significantly more if gas tankless water heaters are significantly more efficient than tanked gas water heaters but they're all still much much lower efficiency than heat pump water heaters oh is that right okay good to know so these are some of the things you'll be talking about at the upcoming presentation that you're doing via zoom on friday june 10th from nine o'clock to ten fifteen, as a part of the South Central Minnesota's Clean Energy Council's Zoom virtual uh, event. Al, what other things might you be looking at when you are talking to the folks at that event? Sure. Um, well, we'll basically be trying to set the context for what electrification means for Minnesota households, kind of bringing a basic understanding to that process uh, and the importance and feasibility of different steps and approaches um, our households can take to sort of participate in electrification. I think one of the really interesting things is that this explosion of technology is has been very visible and it enables citizens and consumers to essentially participate in this process, which is really neat. And it's this very high visibility pathway um, that motivated people can use to sort of act now. As far as it being viable, you mentioned the electrification. How far away are we from being totally electrified? Is that the right terminology? Yeah, that's the exact correct terminology. I think we have a very good chance of meeting our goals. Um, you know, a lot of our, our goals for changing our utility system and and then cleaning up our, our built environment are around 2040. And if we're um, excited and motivated, I think that's very achievable. We have the technology to do it. We have most of the right puzzle pieces in place, and we're just really sorting out the last details to figure out how to do it in the best way possible. What is it going to take to get this done? Is it legislation? Is it industry doing something? Is it residents doing something different? Where is it all going to happen at? It is our sheer willpower. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> whether, whether that's consumers and citizens making their own choices for the future they want to see or us civilians participating in the legislative process to convince our lawmakers that that's what we want to see. This is the only barrier that stands in our way. The technology is there. Uh, when we do it at scale, the economics will be there. We just really need to want to do it. So what is the message people need to give their their legislators to do something? I mean, I don't even know what I would ask at this point to them. Uh, well, we've come a long way with the technology, and we have clear pathways for um, improving our building codes and, and essentially mandating what we already know to be cost-effective solutions. And anybody who can support Essentially, that end game is going to help achieve this faster and more cost effectively. Our legislators are subject to lots of lobbying from existing interests, people who have a compelling interest to continue to doing what we're doing. And there's nothing wrong with that. But they do have a lot of pressure and they're able to exert a lot of influence. And what's exciting right now is we have this very clear pathway and we just need to articulate it clearly. And we need as many people to articulate it as clearly as possible. This is why we're doing events to kind of reach out to regular folks and show them what they can be doing now and how we can all work together to kind of dem demonstrate what can be done and then hopefully set example for what our policymakers can do at a larger scale. So will I say to my legislature, I want you to work toward electrification? Is that the, that the terminology I would use? Absolutely. I want to work toward a decarbonized economy via electrification. I want the promotion of heat pumps. I want them to be strict strongly considered in new building codes. I want building codes to support electrification opportunities. These are all things that can have a dramatic impact on the pace at which we move through this process. 
that's what I was looking for. I wasn't sure how to, to word it exactly because it's something that's not necessarily in our everyday vocabulary at this point. So is that what you do then as a part of the CEE is to lobby for this sort of thing? Is that part of your what you do? Uh, no, we're not really a lobbying organization. Oh. We do a little bit on uh, on clean energy policy, and we work with regulators to try to interpret clean energy policy and actually implement it and work with our utilities and figure out the best ways to implement it. Um, I'm a researcher, so I kind of do the background work to try to support the conclusions that we then advance um, at those levels. So you are a researcher, so have are things continuing to become more efficient or do you think you're at a really great level for efficiency that it makes sense for people to start implementing this technology now? It absolutely makes sense for people to start implementing it now. Uh, the great thing about the technology is that it will continuously improve for the foreseeable future. So it will get better and better. But we don't want to get caught in this sort of this, this no man's land where you're always waiting for something better. I mean, mm-hmm. it's a lot like many of our other digital technologies that have kind of taken hold. Everything's always getting better. If you wait for the best thing, you'll be perpetually waiting. As a consumer, when would you say, Josh, that it's a good moment to invest in this? Because, you know, you'd say right away, but right now the costs are really expensive because it's so new. We don't have all the installers, et cetera. Should we wait a year? What are your thoughts on that? Because if you're a consumer, you want to obviously not have to pay the most money out if you're not going to save money too. Absolutely. There's really only one opportunity for all consumers when this stuff comes up. And it's it's when your current equipment fails or reaches end of life okay. um, and you have to make a decision about its replacement. That's when it's the most cost effective to do to do this kind of thing. I mentioned earlier that, you know, an air source heat pump might cost a thousand dollars more than an air conditioner in a furnace. But unless you're having to make that decision, unless you're forced to make that decision because your existing equipment is end of life, it's going to cost you a lot more. You're basically just going to have to replace perfectly Uh, functioning equipment with something new. So we call that the sort of replace on fail cycle. And that's really the important decision making time for all consumers. And that's why it's really important for everybody to sort of have the information in their back pocket about what options are available to them. So that when that situation presents itself, they can make the decision that best meets their purposes, sort of with full information. Often the states have programs where they do rebates on energy efficient equipment. Do you know, do any of these air source heat pump water heaters or furnaces qualify for any of the rebates at this point? Yes. Almost all of our utilities offer oh. rebates, electric utilities for heat pumps. Okay. They vary dramatically depending on the utility and there's different program requirements by that, but almost without exception, uh, most folks can get some kind of rebate to reduce the installed cost of a heat pump. That also applies to heat pump water heaters. I think in most cases, because we do have a lot of utilities in the in the state and I'm I haven't gotten them all covered, but most of the big ones do this. Well, that's good to know because anytime you can save a little money, especially if you're paying a little more upfront right away, you might want to take advantage of that. Where can people find more information? Obviously, they can attend this virtual meeting, but where else can you go to find background information just to learn more about how this may be of a benefit to you? Sure. Well, I guess the central resource we're trying to promote right now is mnashp.org. That's the website for the Minnesota's Air Source Heat Pump Collaborative. That's supposed to be our sort of landing page for all things air source heat pump in, in Minnesota. My company's webpage as well, mncee.org, has sort of its own page that draws attention to all the research and ongoing things that we are learning about heat pumps and their implementation in Minnesota. So is the air source, is that a brand name or is that just the, the type of process it is? It is the type of process. 
Um, okay. So it just it, it draws attention to the fact that you're you're pulling energy out of the air. The air is the source of the energy. So it's the Minnesota Air Source Heat Pump Collaborative. Is that what it the entire title is? Yep. M N A S H P dot O R G. Again, I'm going to remind people that this is coming up on Friday, June 10th, starting at 9 o'clock to 10.15. It will feature Dr. Josh Quinnell, who we are speaking with now, a senior research engineer, and also another individual. My colleague, Robbie Vandergon, who is the manager of the Minnesota Air Source Heat Pump Collaborative. Wonderful. Well, I appreciate your information, and we'll let folks know how to connect with that link because it is through the South Central Minnesota Clean Energy Council. Free and open to the public. Anybody who wants to connect via Zoom can do that. Sounds really interesting. I've learned a lot because this is something I am not familiar with. So all the best of you to getting the word out. Excellent. Thank you so much for letting me have time here. Thank you very much. Take care. You take care. Bye-bye. Every Day is Earth Day is supported by Minnesota Valley Federal Credit Union. With two locations in Mankato since 1934, it pays to bank where your part owner member NCUA. More at mnvalleyfcu.coop. And Every Day is Earth Day is also supported by members of the Executive Board of the South Central Minnesota Clean Energy Council. Find out more at smcleanenergy.org.